Welcome to Design Your Legacy, the podcast where I have inspiring conversations with women about their life, legacy and jewellery. I'm Rosanna, your host and founder of Rosanna Croft Jewellery, a bespoke fine jewellery company. In today's episode, I speak with Lucy Kebble, founder of The Vonder and host of Style with Substance podcast. With a history in high fashion and fine jewellery, Lucy knew what she wanted to do from a young age. She has a fascinating journey and is leading the way in making a change in the fashion industry, championing small, sustainable brands. I hope you enjoy. Lucy, hello. Welcome to Design Your Legacy. Thank you so much for coming on Series 3. How are you? Hi, I'm good. Thank you so much. Um, It's really really nice to be here with you this is like my first time on the other side of the mic so I'm really excited for this one how exciting so do you want to just introduce yourself to our listeners um, explain a bit about your current roles in life and why they're important to you sure so I have worked in fashion for I guess maybe 15 years now (laughs) and I'm currently running my own business which is a a media platform called The Vonda and we are mostly concerned with sustainable and ethical fashion, beauty and lifestyle. I'm also launching a membership programme for the brands that we work with at The Vonda. You know I'm very lucky that I get daily quite personal interactions with these brands so I get to find out what their problems are help them solve them so that's sort of how the whip came about the the platform that we're launching is just to really sort of streamline helping these brands to grow their business sustainably and in my view be the future of UK consumerism and you know, sort of before I was doing this, I have worked at various different magazines, glossies, I've worked at online magazines, but jewellery has really kind of been a feature, I think, throughout all of that. It's always been very, very important. And the more I worked at mags, you know, the more time I got to spend with jewellery, working with it, understanding it, you know, how it should be worked with and how it can't be. So, That's been quite nice because it's also played a big part in my personal life as well, which I'm sure we'll get on to later because I have tons to talk about in that area. Um, (laughs) Yeah, but, um, you know, fashion and jewellery, it it was like a love that started for me at a very young age. And when I figured out that there's a job out there that people will pay you, they won't pay you very much, but they'll pay you a little (laughs) bit of money (laughs) to do this thing that you really love doing. Yeah, I think maybe I was like 13 when I figured that out and like blew my mind. Wow. Okay, right then. So from 13, you found out that you can be paid to work in fashion and jewellery. What's a bit of your what's a bit of your journey? How did you get from 13 realizing that to where you are today? God, good question. So I think it was when I was I discovered that Lucinda Chambers was the fashion director of Vogue and she was a stylist and that was a job that people did. And I was like, well, that's what I want to do then. That's like, you know, everything kind of clicked into place. Life sorted. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, I thought so at least (laughs) at that point. Um, So, yeah, I think after that I felt, I felt really, really focused. And I remember kind of being the only person sort of within my friendship circle at school who knew, I knew what I wanted to do. I just didn't know how to get there. And I'm going to betray my age now, but back then, you know, it wasn't a job that people really knew anything about. You had to do your research. You know, we didn't have social media. I couldn't follow Lucinda Chambers on Instagram or anything like that, you know. So it was basically, how do I get in touch with her? Will I write letters? Then it was obviously a few years later, it was it was emails and things. But I, I do remember it was so, so hard to break into. It was so, so hard to get that first internship. And when they say it's who you know, Mm-hmm. you know that's that's absolutely correct it is who you know and I was very very lucky that a guy that I was dating at the time met uh, a lecturer from LCF at a party randomly and told me that he spent the whole time talking about me and how I really wanted to be in fashion I'd been writing all these letters to magazine editors and I hadn't been hearing back and that was all I wanted to do was get an internship at a magazine and she said well I could help I send out uh, my student CVs 
and get have to get them work experience for the course that we do you know and I've got people who they'll give they'll give internships tell her to send me her CV and I'll get her an internship and I just couldn't believe it this woman I'd never met could be so kind you know and she did she got me an internship I did two weeks at New Looks press office which was amazing and that you know, I did, I did quite well there and they seemed to quite like me. And then from there, they told someone else, you know, Lucy's really keen. Um, so I, I think I went and worked at the Sunday Express or something for a couple of weeks over the summer. And then through someone else I knew, I managed to land an internship at a new sort of indie fashion mag yeah. in East London. And yeah, I guess kind of the rest is history, really. I turned down I turned down a university place to do this internship. Wow. Because I, I well, I just figured that I'll leave university and I'll need to intern anyway. So why waste time, money? I may as well just do this. Unfortunately, the magazine didn't end up going anywhere, but it was a really, you know, sort of in at the deep end experience for me that led to I guess everything else I've done in my career so yeah mm. yeah oh amazing so then how so how have you made the progression I guess from so you've done a bit of freelancing for magazines as well journalism is that right or yeah um, yeah well I I sort of um up until I think about five years ago I was working at Harper's Bazaar in town and country magazines and across their digital as well and I just was getting to the point where I'd been slogging my guts out for a really long time as I said before it's not brilliantly paid and I just I just kind of didn't feel there was something missing and I couldn't put my finger on what it was and I decided to leave and yes, I went freelance. Um, I I joined Phoenix Magazine as their accessories and jewellery editor, which was brilliant um, because they basically let me do whatever I wanted to do. Amazing. And <laughs> I wanted to work with fine jewellery and watches and lovely accessories. So that's what I did, which was, which was brilliant. And, but through that, I kind of started working with a few other brands and all of a sudden I found out about sustainable fashion. I watched The True Cost and I remember thinking I had no idea that the industry that I worked in was having this huge negative impact on the world. Mm. I think I must have known in the back of my mind, but I I never addressed it. And watching that film addressed it for me in a really big way. And I had a massive crisis over the next few days of thinking like, well, if I'm having doubts about working in this industry anyway, this has cemented the fact that I shouldn't be doing that because I am contributing to something that is killing the planet, that's taking advantage of people in the worst way possible. But then I kind of came to the conclusion that I'm actually very well placed with the experience that I have, the knowledge and understanding that I have of the workings of the fashion industry to tell people about this and to learn about how I can do better and hopefully inform other people on how they can do better. So that's when I came up with the idea of starting the Vendeur because I couldn't find, you know, I was doing some research into sustainable fashion Mm -hmm. and all I could find was blogs talking about you know, the nuances of various different certifications and dyeing. And I'm now quite a big eco-fabric freak. Mm. But at the time, I was just someone who enjoyed fashion and wanted to understand how I could consume a bit more consciously and how I could make better choices when it came to supporting brands without kind of losing my sense of style and the joy that I got through that. Yeah. And I couldn't find it anywhere. You know, I couldn't find a space that looked nice and that didn't make me feel like an awful person Mm. for not like wearing a hemp dress and never buying anything ever again. So I kind of used what I'd learned helping to launch Harper's Bazaar's website when I worked there. And yeah, I just kind of went for it. It was very scary, yeah. putting myself out into the world in that way because I definitely didn't know enough you know I wasn't an expert but I've learned so much along the way and yeah. I think that that is kind of the crucial 
the crucial thing there because we're all still learning you know I've learned that no one knows everything not there's no such thing as being 100% sustainable you know so it's it's all a work in progress really yeah Yeah, amazing but I think I think you're really brave to just go for it and tackle a I know (laughs) it was really scary I wouldn't have done it if my partner hadn't said oh my god will you do it already (laughs) 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 he employs tough love on me because otherwise I'd sit there for ages just faffing and yeah yeah Yeah. but you've got I I think you've taken on a massive problem and you're that you're trying to solve with the Vondor and I think you know well done because most people would just faff about it and regret not doing it yes I think the regret was like a big bit of it I kind of knew that if I didn't do this now I would regret it so I'm Mm. so glad that I did it when I did it and and I've kind of taken that forward with everything else that I've done um with this new product that we're launching the membership platform again it was kind of an idea that I formed last year when I was speaking to brands through lockdown and thinking, oh my God, this could be the end of a lot of amazing brands out there who are, you know, they're doing brilliant, inspiring things, but they're they're teetering on the edge as it is. Lockdown Mm -hmm. could be the end of them. Um, And it was so inspiring to see everyone, you know, come out in support of small business, local business. And at the Vondor, we really started pushing your small sustainable businesses. I mean, obviously, local is is, yeah. is is sustainable as well in in some ways. But we really wanted to highlight to people that these are the brands that are putting themselves out there at mm-hmm. their own cost. You know, they are spending money and time, and they are figuring out these problems. Then later on, brands I won't name any names, but mm. you know, sort of big high street Mm. brands big designer brands will then come out and say hey everybody look at this amazing cool sustainable thing that we're doing when I know for a fact that a small London-based brand at great expense themselves did it last year yeah so to me that was yeah and it was unfair and I think having worked in fashion and especially in the last few years it wasn't like this when I first started but in the in the last few years everything was about money and advertising mm. and i know that when you flick through a magazine i would say maybe like 90 to 95% of the things that you see on the page are there because of money because yeah. they've paid to be in that magazine and it's so difficult for small brands to get to get that um oh what's the word that I'm looking for to get that visibility yeah, that they the need. recognition yeah yeah but these are the brands that need it these are the brands that are doing it you know so how can we support them to do that you know and I hope that the whip um it's called the work in progress because <laughs> yeah everything is a work in progress we really hope that the whip is going to is going to be there to to you know support these brands to give them the community that they need yeah you know as well as kind of practical learnings yeah in terms of you know like how do you make seo work for your sustainable Mm. brand how do you communicate your message in an honest way without sounding greenwashy yeah you know these are all kind of like really real problems that a lot of these brands have yeah because a lot of these brands are run by one person yeah or you know a very very small team and and what I've learned is that these small brands you know I guess in a way I'm I'm one of them it it, is full of the leaders are full of passion Mm. and they're full of passion about what they do and about sustainability and trying to make the world a better place in their own way and it's not always just about money for money is it's a thing that keep it keeps the stuff ticking it keeps things it's transactional isn't it it's it's something that we all have to dabble in yeah yeah as difficult as it is but also you know a lot of these brand founders I was I was finding out you know they weren't coming from traditional design backgrounds Mm -hmm. they didn't necessarily go to Central St Martins or LCF or Cordwainers or wherever they don't have that you know that community that address book of people that they went to university with or that they interned with etc that they can call on a lot of these people are you know they used to be lawyers or bankers or you know maybe they did something completely different or they were mothers and they're solving a problem by creating this amazing new business they don't have that yeah. um so that's again something that we're going to try and give to these brands yeah. is that community and 
you know, because a sustainable community is much more, it's much more open and honest about having conversations than the rest of fashion is. Yeah. You know, working in a fashion magazine, even as a journalist, you could not get a brand to tell you where they made their shoes. Mm, okay. They would not tell you that because it's a secret. Yeah. You know, we don't want other people to steal our amazing fabrics or we don't yeah. want other people to know where we make our stuff. But it they normalized the conversation around secrecy and not not speaking about these things. And that is severely detrimental to garment workers mm-hmm. to you know artisans working for these brands who don't have a voice because yeah. no one knows who they are they don't know where they are they don't know how much they're being paid how they're being treated mm-hmm. and that was something that when I started working more in the sustainable sphere people wanted to talk to me about that they wanted to tell me where their leather was from yeah they wanted to tell me who made their jewelry they visited the factory. They knew the people. Yeah. They'd been invited to their weddings. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and to me, that was such a beautiful thing. And I'm just an honest person naturally anyway, like to yeah. a fault. Sometimes I think I'm a terrible <laughs> liar. I'm a terrible liar. You know, so it was so nice all of a sudden from working in fashion where everything was like very kind of tight-lipped. Yeah. Shh, we don't say anything. To, yeah, I'll tell you. What do you want to know? Yeah. That's amazing. Mm. It's funny because um, I've fallen into the trap of uh, big glossies uh, <laughs> very, very early on in my uh, business days. And it, it has always been, I don't know, like you say, it's all very mysterious. It's all very, mm. it's all very glamorous. Yeah. yeah. And, and you think this is the, this is where I want to be. How do I get in how do I get in Vogue? How do I get in Harper's Bazaar? How do I? Yeah, but speaking as someone who's been there and even to brands I know who got in Vogue and got in Harper's Bazaar, they didn't see an uptake in sales necessarily. You know, it's, I think, I think PR and and marketing is is one of those really funny things that Mm. you do have to say to brands, if that's what you want to chase, chase it but know that it might not be that sweet on the other end because yeah. it takes something like six to seven touches for a consumer to actually part with their money. Yeah. And that could be, now. it probably yeah. is. Yeah. And that could be via social media, email marketing in the press, via a podcast. Mm-hmm. Um, you have to be everywhere at all times. It's exhausting mm-hmm. for small brands. I'm sure, I'm sure it is for you, you know, to, can you see the bags into my eyes? Surely not. <laughs> no, relax. <laughs> And it is, and I think the there's just we just see such authority in the national fashion mm. world, don't we? Uh, mm. The international high fashion, fast fashion. It's where it, I think it comes with a line of people think that that's what makes success. Because I know I did for a it long does. time. Yeah, it does. And I mean, don't get me wrong. I I have some really wonderful memories of some of the things that I got to do. You yeah. know, I I. I worked for, I'm going to name drop now and I don't even (laughs) care, but I worked for Edward Ennenfull for a few years while he was at ID magazine. And one of the first things that we did was we went to Paris and we shot Dior Couture with Patrick de Marchelier in the two. That sounds like a dream. I literally, I I, I remember standing there putting chicken fillets into a model's dress (laughs) and thinking, how did this happen? I am not cool enough to be here. But, you know, growing up, Galliano for Dior and Alexander McQueen I got given books by my auntie who's quite you know sort of she's very stylish and she's big into fashion she gave me these books when I was younger and I remember thinking oh this is like this is everything and I couldn't believe that I got I got to be there and then after that a few months later I got to do a video with obviously still working for Edward, but I was, I was on set for a video that he did with Nick Knight, which was a commemoration of Lee McQueen. Um, And it was the archive and we did a, we did a film and that was another massive pinch me moment. And, and also, you know, every time I kind of get to handle couture or every time I get to handle, you know, a piece of amazing fine jewelry. Mm. And I, I do think, wow, this is my job. And, you know, my friends will will say to me, you've changed because 
I'll make a really like out of the box comment like, well, I don't think six and a half grand for a pair of diamond parve hoops is that extortionate. And they're like, what? what? You've just said a lot of words we don't understand. And also you think six and a half grand is an extortionate for a pair. And I'm like, yeah, but if you consider what, how that, you know, all of those stones have to be the same. And they're like, no, 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 no. Stop talking because you just... <laughs> You're you know, talking to the wrong girl, kind of people. Yeah, the girl yeah. from Croydon who's like, you know, handling these pieces or, you know, at one point handling them on a day-to-day basis yeah. and getting told, you know, told you can try things on. Wow. He can, you know, it is really, it is quite amazing. But, you know, at the same time, I think you have to kind of balance that with well, what is real life? Yeah. What is, what is conscious consumption of these things? what is loving style and loving your style without you know turning to cheap fast fashion or just buying lots of things not even cheap fast fashion if you were able if you you know that way inclined buying all of the Chanel handbags you don't need Mm -hmm. all of the Chanel handbags only five or six yeah I would say yeah I would say five or six is a good number (laughs) what's the um... I have five Chanel handbags don't you (laughs) (laughs) what's the most memorable piece of jewelry that you've tried on oh my god um I tried on a really amazing ring at David Morris oh yeah that was it was like a huge flower that was just covered in different colored diamonds and you know you you always try it on in that beautiful lighting that they have in jewelry yeah it just somehow makes things so twinkly yeah it was just so twinkly and I just remember looking down at my hand thinking oh wow yeah wow would they notice if I left the shop with it on (laughs) well that was what I was about to say when you glance up and you see the security guards like (laughs) watching you yeah put put that back I see you (laughs) (laughs) um but yeah I mean because on a few a few Harper's Bazaar shoots, we shot quite a lot of couture and, you know, we would have sometimes like diamond tiaras Mm. and it's not the most memorable piece, but it's a memorable moment. I remember I was doing a cover shoot with Nicole Kidman trying to get a diamond tennis bracelet on her wrist (laughs) and I could not figure out the catch. And she was so lovely and so patient. And I remember her saying, do you want to ask the guy how to do that? Because I would hate for you to break it. And I was like, yeah, I do. Do you mind? I'm going to meet you out there, but I can't, you know, and I could just see like diamonds flying everywhere. It would have been awful. Amazing. So, I mean, from this conversation, it sounds like you're making pretty massive moves in sustainability, fashion, jewellery and small brands. I think it's incredible. And I believe that we all leave a legacy, whether we realise it or not, and whether we actively work towards it or not. You know, not everybody thinks that it thinks like you do, like we have to go and I, I, I need to make a change in fashion. Not everybody thinks like that. Um, what does leaving a legacy mean to you? Uh, that's a really big question because I don't, I don't really I don't really think about it very much. No. I think I'm a big I'm a big believer in leaving things in a better state than you found them. And that goes for, you know, my environmental footprint, the way I treat other people. You know, I, I always believe in pausing and trying to figure out how I can, how I can make this a positive thing Mm -hmm. and not a negative thing. Obviously, you know, in your life, you're not always able to do that, but you know, sort of even down to like interactions that I would, I have at work. And, you know, when I used to have, for example, interns who worked for me, you know, it was really important to me that people understood that this was a learning opportunity, Mm -hmm. you know, and, and I think life is a, is a learning opportunity. And I'm just trying to I guess I'm I'm trying to you know I think having a kid as well really throws things into into sharp contrast you know when you're thinking about you know your consumption your environmental impact what am I doing on a day-to-day basis you know so that is a really big factor but I also think yeah it's just about it's just about each situation that you find yourself in each moment trying to think well how can I leave this in a good place and 
I mean, I won't lie. I think that if in a few years time, people look back and say, what I'm doing was, you know, groundbreaking or, I mean, it's, it's not groundbreaking because a lot of people are doing it, but if, if what I'm doing is, is helping people to do things better and collectively we're making a difference because that's how it has to happen. It's not going to happen through one person or one company or one conglomerate. It's everyone has to do something no matter how small, you know? So I think, yeah, that's sort of more what I'm kind of working towards and, you know, the idea with the whip is that essentially we create an economy of sharing Mm -hmm. so that eventually it won't need me there for it to run successfully because it will be fed constantly by people learning things and then coming back and teaching other people things. And, you know, it will be self-sustaining in that way. So yeah, it would be, it would be nice to create something that becomes self-sustaining and that is is actively working with these brands and with consumers towards doing better things. I think I would be really, you know, I feel much happier with what I'm doing now than what I was doing. Yeah. As enjoyable as it was and as amazing as it was and the people I got to meet and the things I got to do and the places I went, like I said before, you know, it never quite um there was something there was something missing. Yeah. And I'm now in a place where I understand what that thing is and it's by no means a fix. Yeah. You know, I've just, I just now understand what it is and I've managed to correct where I'm going and the path that I'm on. So, yeah. yeah. Because I think it's like what you're doing now, it sounds to me, you know, you're fulfilling your purpose. This is, you've got a mission and that's what, and, and that's what you're working towards. And and while there may have been something missing in those 15 years you had in fashion, that has, like you say, everything's a learning opportunity. So that has been the learning opportunity to get you where you are today. You've Yeah. So in- incredible. And what you say about legacy, the first thing you said was leave things in a better state than they were before. And that really speaks to me now it, it, in a, a contrast is I've read the a book about the All Blacks rugby team because I love the rugby and it's actually called Legacy and what and and their definition of legacy is to leave the team in a better state than when they found it. So every player that goes and plays for them, their the legacy that they're leaving is they're leaving the team in a better state than before. Which I don't know if you watch rugby, but you'll see that by New Zealand just absolutely smashing everything and everybody that they're actually doing that really really well. So I think that that is a I think that's a really good definition of the word legacy. Yeah, I think that you know because I think traditionally people would probably have quite lofty ideas about it you know Mm. I want to be I want to be remembered as being I don't know successful or rich or you know for the things that I've done but I feel like that just has so much ego attached to it yeah I don't want to say it's selfish because I'm sure that along the way those people have done good things just in just in life while you're living can you can you look back and think yeah last week I did something good or yesterday I helped someone Mm -hmm. or tomorrow I'm going to be helping someone I think personally I think that's more important 100% I couldn't agree with you more Uh, and it's funny because I know legacy is a massive topic and so is heirloom jewelry which we're about to get on to but it's it, it it does actually, it can sound quite morbid because I do literally talk about it every day. And and I think, well, I hope people don't actually think that I think about death every day and where we go <laughs> and kind of because legacy implies what we leave behind. But mm. I don't know, it's, uh, it's just a, a, a part of it, isn't it? Yeah. So jewellery. I do believe yeah. that we carry much of our legacy in the sentimental pieces we leave behind to our family. And a lot of that is jewellery. Mm. Let's talk about jewellery. What what memorable pieces of jewellery do you own? Jo, I'm really lucky. I own quite a lot. I I come from a family of people who jewellery is quite personally important to them. Yeah. And, you know, for a long time, I thought that was what everyone did. But, you know, getting older, I've realised that, it, that it's not. And I have... Um, 
to well unfortunately my my maternal grandmother um died recently but both her and my paternal grandmother have left not even left me they've given me pieces of jewelry um that were sentimental to them mm-hmm. for a reason they, they've then given it to me because they want to add more reason to it they like to see me wearing the pieces yeah. and then there were also a few pieces that they've they had both said to me, you know, I would like for you to have this when I'm gone, mm-hmm. you know, so it's been sort of like an evolution as well for me. I was, I was given my first piece when I was 16. Mm-hmm. My, my paternal grandmother had, uh, her engagement ring didn't fit her anymore. So she had the diamond transferred to a slightly larger band and yeah. she had a an opal an Australian opal set into the engagement ring band and she gave that to me for my 16th birthday and that was amazing because I'd never owned a proper piece of jewelry like mm. I'd been given bits of costume jewelry and I'd done a lot of thrifting um you know and a lot of car boot rummaging over the years and I owned old pieces of jewelry but they weren't personal to me in that way yeah. and I still wear it to this day because it is a beautiful piece of jewelry and it's it always catches people up people's eye because it was quite a chunky piece of um opal and then yeah just sort of over the years of collected other things you know I wear my dad had a Russian a Russian wedding band which is uh I'm sure you know but it's yeah. it's, it's a, a yellow a rose and a white gold bands that are looped together and you could you know they're seamless it he used to wear it on his pinky I think but he because he's an engineer he couldn't really wear jewelry so he gave it to me because I just thought it was so beautiful um it's really very fine and delicate and then on my 21st birthday my maternal grandmother gave me um oh I'm actually wearing it now um it's three sort of uh three diamonds set on a really kind of plain gold band she's also given me um a really chunky amethyst gold ring which I love and amethyst was her birthstone so it means quite a lot to her yeah you know she's given me earrings bracelets I've got a um an old sixpence that she that her father had set into a necklace for her um that I wear um it's quite a big piece and I was wearing it sort of before anyone else started wearing coins and medallions and stuff like that yeah I did it before it was cool you know and I do remember someone saying to me oh that's a pretty piece but maybe you should have it set on a longer chain because it looks a bit dated like that and I remember thinking okay didn't actually ask for your opinion but I like it this length I'm I'm, you know I've never really felt a need to change anything um because everything has just kind of fitted fitted me so well I think um, and I appreciate that I'm really, really lucky with that. Yeah. And then I've also been given a few pieces by my partner as well that have been quite important to me. Mm-hmm. Um, he had a signet ring engraved with my initial oh. for one of my birthdays and a couple of pairs of earrings that he's bought me as well over the years and replaced for me over the years as well. <laughs> the less <laughs> said about that, the better. Um <laughs> insurance have everything insured yeah I know I'm, I'm terrible I'll drop it on the floor and then I can't see it I can't see where oh. it's gone <laughs> Uh-oh. yeah so it's, it's really difficult to choose a favorite because I think also um I kind of go through different phases with my taste yeah. levels as well you know so at the moment I'm really into wearing gold hoops mm-hmm. I wear gold hoops most of the time and quite chunky rings but you know other other times I'll wear maybe a ring on every single finger but they're all kind of quite delicate antique ones that you know I've been given by my grandmothers who were given them by their parents you know so they're very old and and they have a lot of meaning yeah amazing and I think our tastes do change don't they I mean Mm. so the I wear the I wear diamond hoops every day and because they're they're sentimental to me but they um I they're probably the only thing I don't change on a regular basis but my Mm. rings I have to be in a certain if a a certain mood to wear a particular ring Uh, apart apart from the the pink diamond ring I made for my 30th a few months ago I wear that every day and I think I'll always wear that every day always in the mood for a pink diamond (laughs) you've got to be haven't you do you know what it was one thing I said uh, because they're extremely rare now. Mm. The Argyle mine in Australia is closed. Very, very difficult to get hold of pink diamonds. And pink diamonds generally cost 
three at least three times as much as a white diamond oh, um, i didn't know that yeah they're the they're an excellent investment if you can get hold of one so i said and i've been obsessed with them since i first started working in jewelry pink has been my favorite color throughout my entire life as much as i try and deny it i've tried to deny it for a long time but <laughs> um, i've kind of just started to embrace it um and even added pink into the branding which i never thought i'd do but i just said i have to have pink diamonds I just need, I don't think I'll ever own a, a, a pink diamond other than these three, um, mm. but they're very I'd wear a pink diamond, even though I'm really not pink at all. I'm yeah. really not girly girly in any way. I would definitely wear a pink diamond because I think it looks beautiful on um, yellow and rose gold. Yes. Mm. I, I'm also a big fan of citrines as well. I think citrines are really kind of under understated. I agree. I think I would, nice citrine is quite majestic. Very much, yeah. I think it's it's because it's quite subtle, mm-hmm. but it's you know, especially if you halo it in in white mm-hmm. diamonds, really yeah. packs a punch. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> maybe a nice big oval citrine halo in white diamonds, and maybe like a split shank going down, quite chunky. Yeah, um, I do quite like them chunky. Actually, yeah. I'm not. I do. I do have some delicate pieces, um, but I've I've found recently I'm I do feel quite drawn to yeah. chunkier pieces Statement. but it's but there's also like a line that you kind of have to trace for myself at least between that and comfort mm-hmm. because I can't I mean as much as I like to know that I'm wearing a ring if I if I start to fiddle and there's nothing there to fiddle with I feel a little bit uh, you know, I feel a little bit panicky almost. Yeah. I'm like, oh my God, where did I put them? Oh, it's fine. I didn't put them on today, but I feel like there's something missing. Yeah. Um, but they do have to be, I can't know that I'm wearing them all day, if yeah. that makes sense. Yes. You know, so it has um, yeah. to be, it has to feel comfortable. I think that's why I didn't get a signet ring for a really long time because I sort of assumed that like having less mobility in your pinky finger would not be a very pleasant <laughs> thing, but I got one. And I remember trying it on in the shop and thinking, that's actually really comfortable. That's, you know, that's pretty good. I do remember um, like a little while ago, there was a big trend for those tiny little rings, you know, that you'd wear a little bit further up your finger. Really impractical. And I did have a couple. And I just remember thinking, I can't do anything with these. They're really annoying to wear. I'm constantly worried that they're going to fall off. Yeah, they look great. They do look great, yeah. But, but um, they, I lost one. Mm-hmm. I made myself a little one that was like a bit, it was like twisted rope, uh, rose mm-hmm. gold. Yeah. And I'd wear it on my pinky, but it's gone. No idea where, which is a shame. I hope somebody found it and is wearing it. <laughs> um, <laughs> oh, that's really sweet of you to say, because I'd be like, oh, if anyone finds it and wears it, God, I'm going to... I'm gonna come find you. <laughs> um, that's my legacy: finding the people who who are wearing my lost jewelry. Yeah, I'm gonna come um, after you. <laughs> um, so you've got a lot of antique jewelry. Then have you? A couple of questions: Have you had anything redesigned? But bearing in mind a lot of your jewelry is antique, do you maintain? the like do you make sure the claws are safe the shanks aren't too thin and have them looked after regularly um I I haven't had anything modified I think really because I'm quite sentimental yeah and I like I said I I find a lot of the pieces quite wearable so I've never really felt a need to modify anything you know and I'm the same with clothes and things as Mm -hmm. well sometimes I think something just looks so beautiful I'm not going to wear it but I don't want to change it I for some reason I kind of don't want to mess with it which is silly because you know I'm always telling people oh you should mend things you should repair things you should alter them so that it's a piece that you would wear but I find it quite difficult to do myself yeah yeah and in terms of maintenance I'll admit I'm not I'm not as good at it as I as I should be but there's there's you know, I, I go as far as to make sure that everything is kind of the things that need to be separated are separated. Yes. Um, anything that's a bit soft, 
isn't mixed with anything that's a bit too hard um, so that nothing kind of scratches. Um, And I give things a clean now and again. I definitely don't do it as often as I, as I should do. And I've noticed that recently a few things have become a bit tarnished. Um, So I do, I do need to address that, but a lot of it because I wear it day to day. Yeah. It doesn't really really need a huge, a huge amount doing to it. I think no. there was a ring that I did have to ask my my partner to, I mean, inverted commas, fix for me because I was wearing it and I was leaving a shop. And you know when they have those big heavy metal doors with those big heavy yes. handles on them? Yeah. I don't know how it happened, but the ring got hooked on the bottom corner of the oh. thing and I wrenched it and it was really, really painful because it was quite a large, okay. it was quite a large ring and it, dented my finger yeah. for a few days but I was gutted because it had bent the back of it like really out of shape but luckily my my partner was sort of able to kind of you know knead it back into it doesn't look perfect but it's mm. it's wearable it's comfortable you know yeah. and then I also had to sort of again I felt really awful doing it but I have a piece it's a really large uh it sounds odd but it's a really large gold crucifix on mm-hmm. a pendant that has crushed jade all over oh, it wow it's a really beautiful piece it was my my mother's auntie on that side of my family is italian so they yeah. were quite into like you know they loved a bit of gold yeah really great pieces and i started losing some of the jade chips yeah. and someone said to me well, why don't you just seal it with clear nail varnish Ooh. And I was like, oh, am I allowed to do that? And it was a really long time before I tried it. And even then I just did it a little, little bit because I was like, I just, it wasn't that I was worried that I was going to tarnish the stones. I just didn't want to mess with it. I just thought, well, I'll stop wearing it then if the chips are falling off because I don't, you know, I don't want to ruin it. But at the same time, I'm afraid to do anything to it as well. Yeah. 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 I think that's quite interesting because, yeah, I think clear nail varnish, would work but if if it's worn a lot it'd probably chip off and maybe take some of the jade with it but Mm. um but I think in today if that piece was made a some a jeweler might put a clear resin over it Uh, and set it so so that they don't if it's crushed jade there's no way of setting crushed jade so yeah so a clear resin would hold that in place um now I don't know because I've never worked with resin but I, I I it it can work wonders I Mm. believe oh that's interesting maybe I might see if I can find someone who can do that for me then because yeah I'm excited to get that piece out and wear it again because it's a bit of a showstopper people are always like oh wow what is that yeah amazing and I love that about jewelry that it can be a talking point yes yeah I love that as well that the opal the opal ring that I have it always catches people's eye always and people will always ask me where is that from it's amazing I've never seen one that big or also it's an Australian opal yeah so it's quite um it's quite milky but yeah. it's oh, it's it's just really really beautiful yeah really lovely I, I I love opals I feel very fortunate I'm making a very special piece with an opal that we've had sourced from uh Lightning Ridge in Australia oh um, wow and it is this piece is going to be incredible just uh, the opal's gorgeous um, I knew someone who had an opal engagement ring yeah which you don't you don't see that often but it was it was a nice big chunky oval piece of um opal and then it was surrounded in in diamonds yeah, nice. and I remember her showing it to me and I was like you're joking I didn't even know that yeah. was like she she's the sort of person though who she really loves jewelry as well and she yeah. really loves quite colorful pieces and she wears a lot of it um okay. and yeah that yeah. was just that was a yeah real it sounds incredible well so this is actually an engagement ring but ah. it's um the opals on yeah I think you know the tradition's diamonds um isn't it yeah but who wants tradition I mean I think that it's a ring that hopefully you're going to wear for the rest of your life yeah so you should look down at it and think yeah. that is everything that I want it to be yeah, exactly I do sometimes I mean obviously everyone's different I'm I don't have an engagement ring hint hint um, <laughs> we'll send but, in the link to this <laughs> oh don't worry I'm very obvious about the fact that I would like one but um uh I think well, why wouldn't you have something 
that is I mean obviously not something so showy that you're like afraid you're going to get mugged or anything because I've seen a couple of those as well um but you know there's so much more to life than a platinum band with a stone set on it with with ones that you know there's there's so much more out there solitaire yeah one of those (laughs) not not a big fan myself personally Um, no it's um but again it's similar to I think similar to the 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 authority and uh kind of glamour aspect that the big national glossies have is people yeah this is this is what an engagement ring looks like this is what you should want and and if that's what people want brilliant you know if you look down at your ring and you think this is beautiful I'm going to wear this forever then that's all it needs to be that's why for me yeah for me personally you know that I'd need something a bit different. Um, but I, I mean, I'm really lucky that um, there is a jeweler in my family. My cousin, um, Toby McClellan, he makes amazing jewellery. It's very, um, it's very, very statement. And he makes a lot of, you know, it's quite big gold pieces, loads and loads of stones in it. It's nice. amazing. Yeah, really amazing. But he he's made all of the rings for everyone in my family oh, which is just such a lovely thing you know all of my cousins just um throw more sentiment yeah all of their engagement rings are made by him push rings are made by him yeah so that that's like a really kind of lovely nice thing that we have yeah. as a family that you know oh you know did cousin toby make that for you oh. you know yeah it's it's lovely i really like it yeah he does oh, he man. does quite a lot of stuff for uh chase and status and tiny temper um he he took a few i think it was tiny that he took a few pieces for him and created something new and there was like a burger pendant (sighs) that was gold that had brown diamonds green diamonds like it was it was really really good that sounds Um, delicious it it is (laughs) and he i think probably the, the the favorite piece of mine that he's done he's done a lot of stuff but the favorite piece was a really small um gold shotgun that when you cocked the barrel there were two rubies in it and I was just you can kill me now because that is just the most brilliant thing I've ever seen that's amazing see jewelry like Um, this absolutely fascinates me when you take a an I guess an everyday item not that a shotgun is an everyday item but when you take yeah. something and you make it into a piece of fine jewellery, that is just, mm. I love it. it and, and it's not easily done. There, it, it, yeah. It's been done in a naff way and it can be done in a way that makes you go, wow. Oh, definitely. Um, you know, it kind of springs to mind that people like Van Cleef and Arpel who will do, you know, like a, a an amethyst set small animal or something you know or I'm always really fascinated by designers who create hinges yes and make pieces that can be opened up and there's something else within Theo it or it Fennell. can be worn a different way yes yeah Theo Fennell's mm. very good at that I came across another designer recently as well and I'm not gonna be able to remember her name but she created some she'd created this patented lock yeah that was just beautiful just all of her pieces had this had this kind of hidden lock in it that it did you know and to me that is really kind of incredible it's a little bit like having um you know a locket or something yeah. that you can open it up and only you know what's inside it or you oh. choose to show someone what's inside it you know it's kind of like you say it adds another yeah. layer of Absolutely. um personalization and like a little kind of secret just for you yeah. as well yeah, I'm I'm really into people who kind of push design yeah. in that way. Yeah. I wouldn't necessarily wear them for myself because I think I'm definitely I definitely enjoy wearing older pieces. Yeah. I don't really wear a lot of modern stuff. No. And I'm I exclusively wear yellow and rose gold. Yeah. I don't wear silver or white no. or platinum no. or anything like that. Um which someone actually said to me once they were like, but you're you're quite pale with blue eyes like surely white gold would suit you better and I was like who cares no that's not what it's about it's whatever yeah, you it doesn't want make, to wear it. yeah it doesn't make me feel the same way it doesn't feel as if anything it stands out yeah and yeah it's it's what I it's what I love to wear mm-hmm. and I always have done you know even when all my my other friends were wearing sterling silver pieces 
you know, I was wearing gold and they were really yeah. kind of perplexed by that because they just didn't understand why I would wear yellow gold. Yeah. yeah, which is, I mean, I think that's probably what makes you, I guess, quite unique in fashion in that you know you know what you want, which is amazing mm. because not everybody mm. does. And and fast fashion is all about us following following. Yeah. Well, I think if you can find those kind of amazing icons that they have a really strong sense of style that, okay, it does change and evolve, but it's their very strong sense of style. Like I really love the Olsen twins. Yeah. I think that they just look so cool all the time and they, they wear a lot of um, vintage and antique jewelry as well, you know, but they'll wear, they'll wear a pair of earrings, but they'll wear them, uh, you know, like two different ones in one ear. So like a pair of Ruby drop earrings and like a shan, like a chandelier with white diamonds in it. No one else would wear it like that, you know, or like tons of really kind of chunky wooden beads, but paired with like a massive Cartier watch and, Yeah, I think that that is the sort of style that speaks to me. People who wear those pieces in a cool way, you know, they don't kind of feel restricted mm-hmm. um, to wear them, um, you know, but also people like Liz Taylor who, yes. you know, she wore pieces of jewellery. You know, Kim Kardashian hasn't got anything on this woman. Like no. she was an OG for it. and. <laughs> just that kind of sense that really strong sense of style um and you know I wish I could carry off quite big pieces in that way and not feel like I'm wearing a big piece you know I think it's really important to feel like you're wearing something not that it's wearing you because it's very obvious when Mm -hmm. it is you know a lot of these celebrities that wear these like massive great big diamond stones and you know, it's just a bit, it's a bit much for me. Yeah. I can appreciate that it's a beautiful piece, but, yeah. you know, personally for myself, it's just like, it feels like it's wearing you. Yeah. And I, I think, I think this is probably what's quite important about jewellery is that the jewellery that we do wear every day is, if it's me- meaningful to us, if it's sentimental to us, if it talks to us, will all you will always wear it it will never look or feel out of place yeah you'll look comfortable wearing it yeah definitely and and I think a-listers probably get given a lot that doesn't mean much to them or buy yeah well they get to borrow stuff for events and things and you know it matches the dress that they're wearing Mm. but that's about it really so yeah yeah so I think jewelry does have to mean something yeah I I do as well I don't personally I'm I don't wear things that don't speak to me yeah and I'm not very good at accessorizing this sounds really stupid because I was a stylist and this is what I did but I'm not very good at like accessorizing a look to be a look yeah and I think that's maybe why my style is will always feel kind of personal to me Mm. is because I'll always pair even if I'm kind of trying a new look a new you know shape of trouser or something I'll still be wearing the same jewellery. Yeah. I still won't make an effort with my hair because I have no idea what to do with it. <laughs> you know, so in those <laughs> ways... i the only one. <laughs> it was... Oh, God, don't even get me started. And, like, my hair changed after I had my baby. So even like, I'm, really? I'm now, again, at a loss as to what to do with it. Um, so, yeah, so I think that that will always kind of feel, you know, I'll always look like me because there are certain things that I just won't change. Yeah, and I think that's really important, very, very Mm. important. Okay, so I could talk to you about jewellery and style and all of this all day, I think. Me too. But I'm going to to round it up with one final question. Okay. Um, What piece of advice can you give to other women, people, small brands about living a meaningful life and leaving a legacy? Wow. Um, I think, again, it probably comes back to thinking about how how you're leaving things, how you're leaving things with people, how you're leaving the planet. You know, it's we live such fast paced lives now that it can be really easy to just do the things that you need to do, keep your head down, keep going, and you don't really see what's going on mm-hmm. and you're never really kind of present in moments. And I think that that is becoming a lot more important. 
yeah, yeah. You know, slowing down, being mindful of like, where are you sat right now? What are you doing? What can you hear? What can you see? What can you, can you touch? What can you smell? But also what are you working on at the moment? Who are you talking to? You're actually listening to them. That's something that I have to work on because I think yeah. sometimes I've got so much going on in my head that I'm not really listening to people properly, you know? So yeah, I do, I do just think slowing, slowing things down is yeah. a good thing to just kind of think about how can you slow some things down for yourself? Because I, I definitely feel like I lived my twenties you know, I was working all the time because I had this goal in mind and I was very ambitious. Well, I still am, but, you know, I was very ambitious at that point that this is what I needed to do. And, you know, now that I'm in my 30s and I have less time to myself, you know, I think, well, you know, all of my mates were like going off on holiday and doing things. And I was working, I was yeah. working, working, working all the time. And I don't regret how hard I worked because, as you said, all of these things lead you to the place that you're in right now yeah. um but at the same time I do wish that I had stopped a little bit more often that I'd slowed down a little bit more to sort of see what was really going on who I was really talking to yeah I think that's really valuable that slow down and just think think about how you're acting how you're speaking how life sits with you and mm. and and how you can do as you say and try and leave things a better in a better way than they were before yeah yeah very powerful lucy you're amazing i've loved this conversation thank oh, you thank you so me too. much thank <laughs> you so much we're gonna have to grab coffee or something when things are back to normal <laughs> oh yes please yeah um, that'd be great that was amazing so thank you so much um for being uh, a guest on design your legacy and i'll talk to you soon Thank you. Bye. Well, thankfully, Lucy stopped faffing and took the leap with the Vonder. Lucy's experience in fashion and working with the big magazines gave her an insight into the reality of an issue which she's hoping to solve with the Vonder. So can I just say a massive bravo to her? I love to see someone begin a business to solve a problem. And I, and I think that this is a big, pretty big problem to solve. Leaving things in a better way than you found them is such a great sentiment around legacy and a great way to view things. I think it's just a great philosophy for life. Speaking once again about the lofty ideas around success and legacy and how a lot of it is attached to ego, I'm pleased that for everybody I speak to, legacy is generally about making the world a better place. As Lucy said, changing the world won't happen with one person, but by collectively making an effort to make those changes. What positive changes can you make that will make the world a better place today? Now, Lucy is a lucky lady who has so much beautiful jewellery in her life and all of it is really sentimental. I felt it was my duty as a professional to check that those pieces are safe so she doesn't lose any of the precious stones. Um, and I love that she says stuff tradition when it comes to her engagement ring. Hint, hint. <laughs> um and she'd much rather wear something that represents her. And I think that's important to take when you're deciding on jewellery that you want to wear for the rest of your life. I think it's really important to wear something that does represent you, your lifestyle, your story. Um, Lucy's also lucky that most of the jewellery she's been given has suited her taste and fits her. Um, and she's never really felt the need to modify it or have anything redesigned. Um this isn't the case for everybody um, and you may have been passed down something like a Victorian piece of jewellery that is too worn to wear. Um, so to save losing those precious diamonds, it is best to have it looked over by a jeweller that you trust to either remodel it to how it used to look um, and look and have the same quality or better quality um, and redesign it into something that does suit your taste. You can learn more about Lucy and the sustainable brands that she supports by following The Vendeur on Instagram and listening to her podcast. All her links are in the show notes. You can also find the links to my own Instagram in the show notes and a link to my ebook on redesigning your old jewellery. Lucy gives wise words about stopping to think about how you're living and if you can live in a better way. Let's work together to make the world a better place and really leave a lasting legacy. Stay present. 
I would also like to thank everybody for listening to Design Your Legacy. Every listener, every rating, every comment means so much to me because I know that hopefully this has had a positive impact on your day and maybe even your life, as I find a lot of inspiring stories can. As part of my wider mission, I want to encourage and support women all around the world to live their best life possible. And one way that I'm doing this is for every woman I interview on the podcast I am giving a micro business loan to a woman in Malawi to help support her in entrepreneurship so thank you once again for listening I really hope you've enjoyed the episode and have a wonderful day